0: Hello, and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast coming to you from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Greg Heilman. And I'm Matt Haver. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local
1: theater and on the big screen. Each week, we bring you entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interview talented local actors and directors, and chat with industry experts from
0: L.A. to the U.K. Today is Friday, November 19th. Welcome to episode 52 with guest Stuart Lyons. We had the pleasure of meeting and interviewing Stuart at the 2021 Seattle Film Summit and couldn't wait to get him on the show. He is co-executive producer, line producer, production executive, and the recipient of several awards, including two Emmys and a Golden Globe for his work on a little show from AMC called Breaking Bad. Stuart has
1: extensive experience with most major studio network, cable, and streaming television companies, including Netflix, Sony Pictures Television, Warner Brothers, Amazon, HBO, NBC, and CBS. Being a stage and screen podcast, we certainly can't overlook the small screen, and we're excited to hear from Stuart about his work in
0: television in a few moments. Film historian and commentator Jeremy Arnold is another friend of ours with a bit of television experience, appearing on TCM as a guest commentator. On Saturday, December 18th, he'll be appearing in person at the Historic Roxy Theater for their holiday fundraiser event, A Classic Christmas. It's a Wonderful Life plays at 7 p.m., and we'll sit down with Jeremy before the film for a special roundtable discussion. There will also be a matinee showing of White Christmas and Holiday Bites and wines starting at 3 p.m. Plus, we'll enjoy a special Christmas message from Zuzu herself, Carolyn Grimes. Get more info and tickets at Roxybreberton.org.
1: And while you're on the Roxy website, you might as well pick up your tickets for the final installment of Movies of the Decade. Playing tomorrow, Saturday, November 20th, for the 20-teens, it's La La Land, starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone and written and directed by Damien Chazelle. We'll get things started as usual at 6.30, and this month we'll enjoy a special video introduction by one of Jeremy Arnold's fellow TCM authors, Richard Barrios, author of A Song in the Dark, The Birth of the Musical Film, and Must See Musicals. Richard will also be our guest on episode 54 on Friday, December 3rd, so make sure to tune in.
0: We're already planning for December, but the month isn't over yet, and now is an excellent time to support your local theaters. In Port Orchard, Western Washington Center for the Arts holiday variety show, directed by our friend, Rebecca Ewan, opens November 26th. Tickets at WWCA.US And on Bainbridge Island, thanks to the talents of our friend Scott Breitbarth. A special virtual production of the comic ballet Coppelia will be available for streaming over Thanksgiving. Stay tuned to the show and look at our social media pages throughout the holidays to keep up on all the local events.
1: Well, one event we sure enjoyed was the Seattle Film Summit back in September. We had the pleasure of meeting dozens of talented, passionate people working in front of and behind the camera. And our guest this week, Stuart Lyons, was one of them we were lucky enough to interview. You can see the video on our YouTube channel. And we had so much fun and learned so much in 20 minutes, we just had to get him back on the show for more.
0: Stuart is a co-executive producer, line producer, and production executive with extensive experience with most major studio, network, cable, and streaming television companies including Netflix, Sony Pictures Television, Warner Brothers, Amazon, HBO, Weinstein Productions, NBC, and CBS. He has worked on 33 television series, 27 pilots, 20 of which were ordered a series, and dozens of feature films and television movies.
1: He was recently director, original series production for Netflix, and prior to that assignment was co-executive producer for the premiere season of Better Call Saul. He won two Emmys as line producer for Breaking Bad, the most critically acclaimed series in the history of television, and he also received two Directors Guild Awards, two Producers Guild Awards, a Golden Globe, and two Peabody Awards for this series. He was also the only person, cast or crew, who was on set for every day of the production of Breaking Bad.
0: In addition to his regular production positions, his work as a production consultant includes scheduling and or budgeting over 160 pilots and television series for streaming, cable, and broadcast companies for projects throughout the United States, Canada, Australia, and Europe. In 2015, he was the first television line producer to be the subject of *It Evening With, hosted by Senator Christopher Dodd at the MPAA in Washington, D.C. Stewart has
1: lectured at the Directors Guild, the Producers Guild, Chapman University, USC's Peter Stark program, UCLA, the University of Maryland, and in both England and Germany about set operations, scheduling, budgeting, and the development of auteur television. He received his BFA from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts and his MBA from NYU's Stern School of Business. He's a graduate of the DGA Producers Training Program and currently works as adjunct professor at DePaul University, instructing in creative producing at their Los Angeles location for master's degree students. He joins us from his home in Oxnard, California. Stuart, welcome to the show, or back to the show, I should say. Yes.
2: Back well, thank there. you. Thank you, guys.
1: <laughs> You're a busy guy, and we're, we're, glad, to, we're glad to have you, glad uh, you were able to make some time. Uh, tell us, first of all, what have you been working on since we saw you at the Seattle Film Summit?
2: I've been uh, consulting on uh, scripts, both creatively. I've uh, worked on my own uh, projects. Uh, I have a a TV series that uh, we're getting ready to uh, take out, um, and we're completing the pitch deck now. I've been consulting for Warner Brothers on several pilots, uh, and let's see, uh, some family weddings, and then, of course, teaching for DePaul University. Uh, My last class of the first course I've taught for them will be Thursday.
1: Oh, congrats. That's great. Yeah.
2: And I'll be teaching uh, a different class, a different course starting in January. So they've invited me to continue. So very happy with that. So it's a a lot, very satisfying and a lot of fun.
0: Now, are you responsible for going out and getting your own work? You know, as an actor would have an agent or something like that, but how do you I have an agent? Okay.
2: I, I have an agent. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't have any responsibility for finding my own work. I, I find about about half of it, but uh, my agent, Jason Pagney at William Morris is, is just terrific. And he'll get me into doors that I don't even know that I'm supposed to knock on. So uh, I, I'm very happy being represented by, uh, by him and uh, William Morris.
0: Well, your resume uh, includes co-executive producer, line producer, production executive, with experience in most major studio network cable and streaming companies. So you've been all over all over the board. The last time we spoke with you, you boiled down your role as taking the script and turning it into a tangible product. And with all the details that that includes. Is that a fair simplification of of the work you do as as a producer?
2: Yeah. There are various definitions of producing and producers, and they vary the, the labels vary between features and TV. I've primarily work in television. So um, the kinds of producers that are there are either the ones who are developing material or the ones who are making the material that's developed into a real product. And I'm that that second kind of producer almost all the time. I, you know, occasionally try and develop my own uh, work as well. But uh, the bread bread and butter is is taking scripts that have been, uh, that represent the plan for a show and making the show out of them.
0: From a hierarchy perspective, who do you, so I think we all know, you know, you have the director, you have the actors, you have the crew and everybody kind of in between. Where does your role sit in there? Who do you report to and who reports up to you? Well, in television, I'm
2: sometimes hired before the director. Uh, So the person that I'm most there, are they're basically two two avenues that i'm i i report to one is uh the showrunner the person who has created the project that i'm working on that's frequently the pilot writer almost always and then i'm responsible to the studio that is you know basically funding the production of the show so there will be a uh vice president of production at warner brothers sony whatever uh that i will report to and between them and the showrunner they come to an agreement as to who they're going to hire as a line producer and then the directors come on frequently after that not always but frequently after and then when you're doing a tv series as a line producer it's rare that a single director does all the episodes, so my responsibilities will be to help the uh, current director uh, supervise the uh, the prep for the next director uh, and serve as a conduit of information between uh, the studio and the uh, and the show in in terms of physical production.
0: So there's the vision. The showrunner has the vision, and then you're the one that makes sure that anything that happens within the show, from directors to anything you know, from a production perspective, just meets that vision? I mean, do you, are there sanity checks along the way that to make sure things meet that vision?
2: You are trying to get as close to the vision of the showrunner as you possibly can, given the constraints of uh, money and time. And no show ever has enough money, and no show ever has enough time. Also, you know, it's very simple, not easy, but simple as a writer to write, the German army comes over the hill. Uh, Well, that's Patton. (laughs) Somebody spent a year, you know, locating all that equipment and arranging for that location and getting the equipment to the location. It's not easy to get a tank anywhere. And, And then staging it with hundreds of extras and period uniforms and but that person on that show was a very big version of what I do in TV.
1: Well, and you mentioned Earl, uh, just a minute ago that you generally join the production as soon as the script has been written. Is that pretty standard in the industry for someone in your role to jump in that early in the process?
2: As a line producer, yeah, it's it's not un- uncommon. I mean, typically with pilots, there is a director uh, attached, but not always.
1: Are you ever involved in uh, casting decisions?
2: Not generally. You know, I will attend casting sessions, uh, particularly if we're in an episodic uh, structure. Uh, I might uh, attend casting, uh, you know, casting a series with series regulars, that's usually done in Los Angeles. It's pretty high level. And the Screen Actors Guild, and I think this is a good thing, tries to keep the number of people in the room although many of it, much of it is now Zoom, but they try and keep access to the casting room, I think justifiably limited to the key decision makers, which would be the showrunner and the uh, director. Now, all casting decisions then have to be approved of by both the studio and the network. So, um, you know, these things are uh, recorded and the selects, Go to the studio and the network for final approvals. But generally, I'm, I'm, you know, I might be sitting in uh, if we're on distant location, and much of my work is on distant location from Los Angeles. Uh, I, you know, there might be a, an episodic uh, minor role that need to be cast locally because the cost of bringing people in is significant. So if you can find local talent and it's also better for the show uh, and the relations with the, you know, the state uh, or the city to cast locally. So wherever that's possible, that's done. And I, I'm frequently in part of those, those meetings.
0: You mentioned before with, with an episodic series, directors come in and out and you have guest stars and things like that. But you want to maintain a consistency across the board from show to show and season right. to season. A certain, how do you do that? What what kind of uh, skills do you use to make sure that there's that consistency in place? Well, the,
2: the the vision of the show of a TV show is the showrunner, and the pilot is the prototype. So, you spend extra time, extra money, securing the best possible director for that pilot. And then it's not the job of a person doing episode six to reinvent your series. And they know that. That's just a given. So they're looking at previous episodes. They're not looking to change the look of the show. And if they are looking to change the look of the show, then that's a piece of information that's going to get to me very quickly from the assistant director or the cinematographer or another producer who's on the uh, the set that that's not what their job is is the showrunner has the vision they've set the style and uh, it's the job of the producers on this and the cinematographer to make sure the show looks consistently there's also big decisions that are uh, the production designer will make the edit- editors will will make as well to make the show seem like it's one piece not just let's throw everything up in the air and do it completely differently you know the the next week that's that's not that's not the way the game's played
1: you mentioned a couple minutes ago that uh, the elephant in the room always the elephant in the room is budget and and the major role that that plays in any production how do you go about without getting too deep into the excel spreadsheets how do you go about putting a budget together and and then of course managing it to keep a film or a project a television show on budget
2: i mean that's that's really a major part of what the job is. My approach is to first appreciate what the showrunner is trying to do, to stay in that spirit, and then uh, use my expertise uh, to figure out how long that's going to take to make sure that we're gonna do it in the number of days that we've been given as our television pattern or the number of days that they've agreed to shoot Uh, everybody's agreed to shoot on the on the pilot because that could be anywhere from 12 to 18 days on a pilot and the regular series could be anywhere between eight and 10 uh, days but it needs to stay consistent uh, you know pretty much throughout the series you you don't you don't get to do one show for nine days and another show for 11 and and back and forth because the directors are not booked that way and uh, so you have to respect that so when you're given a show to uh, to run with a series to run with there is a pattern budget that they expect you to approach it's sort of the average of what they they expect and you stay you know you know your first episode is going to need to have some some spark to it so you go over budget in the first couple of episodes then you'll spend three or four episodes trying to recoup, and you know your last episode's big. So it goes like this: you know, it, it, it's a waveform, but you pretty much have an idea of what it's, it's what you're capable of ordering in terms of number of extras, in terms of building sets, in terms of uh, days in, which are studio days versus days on on location, and if the script asks for things that can't be reasonably obtained, because let's say you need to do a big explosion, but that show doesn't have money extras. So you take the money from the extras department, you apply it to special effects or visual effects as the case may be. And that, that's what the job is, is, is to, to keep balancing those things. And it's a moving target all the time.
1: So you're juggling with one hand and puppeteering with the other. Constantly, (laughs) it sounds
2: like. Yeah. If I had more hands, there'd be more juggling. (laughs) I mean, budget's really critical, but I think the approach to to the budget is through the schedule. You know, if you can keep things on track and work the kinds of hours that, that you have budgeted, then as long as you're not building crazy things or blowing up crazy things, you should be in the ballpark. And then the rest is is managing it, but you you need to stay true to the vision of the showrunner. Now let's differentiate, staying true to the vision doesn't necessarily mean that the script is locked and that's the only way of conceiving it. Part of the job is to appreciate what they're trying to do with the script and any given scene, so that if you have to make a suggestion about changing things, it's not just, we can do it cheaper, how about instead of going to a, you know an upscale bar and seeing our guy surrounded by beautiful girls, he gets off of a private jet uh, in, an, in a hangar, and uh, we 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 understand that he's rich and he's powerful from that. Well, you know when you're doing COVID, when you're trying to produce in COVID, having a crowded bar was impossible. Getting off of a single person getting off of a jet that was possible. So that that was a suggestion that uh, that happened on a, a recent pilot. It wasn't to save money, although it actually did. It was really about how do we how do we t- make your story point in the midst of a pandemic. You know, there are other things that get in the way. Weather can get in the way. Very frequently can get in the way. Uh, actor availability can get into the way. Of what you're trying to do, because you may only have a location available on a certain day, and you may not be able to have the actor on that day. You know, what do you do in those those cases? So th- things stay fluid all the time.
0: Is there a constant reporting that you do to someone on schedule and budget, so that if there's a something that really pushes back the schedule, that yeah, you've the, got the, to the VPs
2: the VPs in production uh, are really terrific executives. I mean, there are very few that I've met who didn't deserve their position and they work really hard. And when I was in that position, I worked really hard as well. Um, you know, they're watching over anywhere from eight to 12 shows and uh, keeping it all in their heads and uh, and being able to, to be helpful. Most of them are helpful uh, rather than, uh, you know, don't bother me. some of them are like that, uh, but many of them are very helpful and can provide uh, another set of eyes on a a given problem.
1: You talked about uh, weather, actor availability, illness, global pandemics, getting in the way of production. Can you tell us about one of the most challenging situations that you've dealt with or maybe the biggest hurdle that you've made it over when it comes to uh, that type of thing, logistics uh, and keeping that flow and keeping on schedule like that?
2: In Breaking Bad, we did an episode of a train robbery. And uh, that was, uh, that took a lot of people working extremely hard uh, to pull that off. I mean, not only arranging for the train and arranging for the section of track, but also doing that, that episode uh, within our time frame and within our budget. There were a lot of people who made terrific contributions. We had three units going at the same time because our time was limited um we had a first time director who did a fabulous job george maestros and he was the writer of the episode um so that was that was that was pretty e- exhausting but I, I think you know between that look out that, that was in our final season uh so we had a pretty well oiled machine i think for me personally doing the pilot of breaking bad in new mexico in 2000 and, 7 that was about as hard as, as I've ever worked because it was one of the first TV series there they had, a, they had some Saturday morning show that was very you know it's a nice little show but uh, it was limited in scope and and they had not done um TV series work and i think that to some extent breaking bad was you know a piece of o tour television one of the first pieces and you know, gearing up without a crew, without facilities. There were no studios at the time. Uh, I'd never shot, uh, I'd never produced in New Mexico before. So all of those things kind of uh, caused a, a lot of sleepless nights to to get it going. But uh, the proof was in the uh, shooting.
0: I think we talked about this before that that Breaking Bad is is one of those time, the, those things that raises the bar for everything else, and you can see its its imprint on some of these. St- these high level series that we've seen that are, that are really cinematic in nature. They look more like movies than they do television. And I think a lot of that comes down to production design as well. And I wonder how much say, or how much um, input do you have into production design or, or any of the facets of the, of the organization that kind of report up to you, or do you just kind of let the people that are responsible for those roles do their job and you just, oversee to make sure that vision is still in place?
2: Um, These are very talented individuals and I'm not going to make decisions for the sake of making decisions to show that I'm there. I mean, it's not like being part of what makes shooting commercials so painful as everybody wants to show that they were, they saved the movie. I will get involved if the scope of what is being designed is not going to be within our, just realistic. I mean, it, it can be, things can be unrealistic, not just in terms of money, but we just don't have the time to build or we don't have a place to put it. So I'll get involved on that level. Looking at a blueprint is a skill and knowing what it it represents is a skill that I think people develop, most people develop over time. It's becoming actually less necessary because we can now see things in 3D renderings, whereas before it was just 2D and you had to figure things out that way. But there have been times where I've been presented with a plan And the production designer will say this is is an example of a real location. But I'll look at it and go, well, wait a second. We're going to need certain angles. Uh, And this conversation is happening with the director. Uh, I'll say, do you plan on putting the camera over here? Because if you plan on putting the camera in this position and you have another person, let's say in the kitchen and we're in the living room and we're having a conversation it might just be that that you don't have the angles that you want because there's low-hanging cabinetry. And yeah, that's real, but do you want to work with that or do you want to have more flexibility? And, and that, that was a, a recent conversation that I, that I had on a, on a show. There are other times where, look, they, everybody wants to build big. Everybody wants to build great. Um, but there are still some limits on what we're capable of doing within the time and budget on anything. I mean, I had a friend who was working on a $300 million uh, movie 10 years ago, and I was working on a $5 million series, uh, episode series, and he was complaining he didn't have enough money or time. And I didn't have enough money or time. So that's just what it is.
1: So you frequently interface between the studio and production crews on things like logistics, like you just uh, spoke to, but also yeah. the cities and states where the production yeah. is taking place. Yes. Breaking Bad was set in Albuquerque, New Mexico. What kind of hurdles did you have to jump with the different government entities while working on Breaking Bad?
2: New Mexico is is set up very well. We had a uh, a terrific. Albuquerque representative, and she and Anne really just did a, a terrific. Uh, Anne Lerner did a terrific job of of opening doors for us and and just she couldn't have. She was so helpful. So we didn't have a real, you know, if it was going to be possible, she could make it happen. The things that I, I don't know that we're not new at this. So you know, if somebody was planning something that was not going to be feasible, hopefully we could flag it in the outline. You know, our, our showrunner uh was, you know, so experienced. I mean, he knew pretty much what was gonna be reasonable or not. And if the thing wasn't, if it was on the bubble, he would call me up and we would noodle the idea and, and see if we could preserve the, uh, the initial thinking.
0: Breaking Bad is, uh, we talked about the kind of the importance of that. Now, you were the only person who was on set for every day of the production of that show, correct?
2: Uh, On location in New Mexico, yeah. (laughs) It may have been one or two days I wasn't actually on the set because I was on the next set getting that ready. But uh, (laughs) I was the only person who was there in New Mexico for the whole time.
0: Well, that that had to be quite the experience. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then also... Other than maybe some of the things you you implied before, some of the things that you think have made that show uh, so
2: special—the uh, writing, <laughs> the cast—the uh, writing was brilliant, is brilliant. Uh, the cast was was terrific, and then uh, the production look was fantastic. And and part of that was New Mexico. I mean, people really hadn't uh, shot it for television. To make it look like a Western, uh, you know, with the big expanses. So, but realistically, uh, and look, things like the music and the editing all contributed hugely and wardrobe. But it's the writing, stupid. It's always the writing.
0: Well, a big thank you to our guest, Stuart Lyons. Join us next week for the second half of our interview with Stuart and more about Breaking Bad and the craft of television production. Visit our YouTube channel for our video interview with Stuart from the Seattle Film Summit. And while you're there, catch up on past episodes of In the Mix and get to know a theater.
1: And if you enjoy the show, please make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend or two. Tell them to find us at HeilmanandHaver.com and tune in on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. You can keep up with all our latest on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and send thoughts and comments to HeilmanandHaver at gmail.com. As always, thank you for supporting your local theater and for joining us here on Heilman and Haver.